0: Welcome to the program, I'm Jeff Shackman. McKay Coppin's book, Romney, A Reckoning, is more than just a biography of a politician. It's also an exploration of the evolution of the Republican Party. In looking at its origins, from John C. Fremont and Abraham Lincoln, to its most recent form, it's possible that Mitt Romney may be the last presidential candidate of the grand old party. Mitt Romney is the personification of a bygone era in Republican politics. His career, which spans from business to his tenure in public service and public office, encapsulates a party in transition, grappling with its identity and direction. The story of Mitt Romney is a narrative of personal and ideological struggle within the tumultuous landscape of American politics. Romney frequently criticized for his moderate stance and more recently seen as deeply out of touch with the rising tide of populism represents a Republican ethos that increasingly appears to be in the rearview mirror. In a move that could have been a chapter in JFK's Profiles and Courage, Romney was the first senator to vote for the impeachment of a president from his own party. McKay-Coppins delves into Romney's complex relationships with figures like Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, and J.D. Vance, his isolation in Washington, and his views on the January 6th Capitol riots and the state of our Constitution. From his upbringing in a politically progressive family to his ventures in business and politics, Romney's life is marked by a normal blending of successes, failures, and moral reckonings. McKay Coppins' biography is not just the story of a man, but of a party and a country at a crossroads. McKay Coppins is a staff writer at The Atlantic, the winner of numerous awards. He's the author of the previous book, The Wilderness, about the battle over the future of the Republican Party, And it is my pleasure to welcome McKay Coppins here to talk about Mitt Romney, a reckoning. McKay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it is a delight to have you here. How much should we think about Romney and the Republican Party? To what extent are, are they tied together? Yeah, I mean, Mitt
1: Romney, in a lot of ways, is sort of emblematic of how the Republican Party has changed over the last few decades. He grew up, as you mentioned at the beginning here, in a family of liberal Republicans, his father was the governor of Michigan. Uh, he ran for president himself. Uh, there was a moment where a lot of people thought that George Romney, his dad, would uh, would win the Republican nomination. But this was in the 1960s, and he was an ardent, uh, you know, supporter of civil rights and other liberal causes. And he was uh, entering the national stage just as the Republican Party was sort of being taken over by right-wing populism. And so in a way, Mitt had a front row seat to the first kind of radical evolution of his party in the 60s and 70s with Barry Goldwater and then, of course, Ronald Reagan following him. Um, But Mitt, when he entered uh, politics entered as a sort of moderate, business-friendly Republican in Massachusetts. And there was still space in the National Republican Party for people like him uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s when when he was uh, coming onto the scene. But what's happened over the last 25 years is that romney increasingly has been marginalized by his party uh, as it's undergone another populist revolution in the form of donald trump um you know romney of course was the 2012 presidential nominee and it's interesting to think that he was the last guy that the republicans chose as their standard bearer before donald trump and it's almost impossible to kind of think of two prominent national republicans who are more different than Mitt Romney and Donald Trump. Mitt Romney still comes from this kind of pragmatic, technocratic, um, you know, pro-business wing of the Republican Party, the, the embodiment of the sort of uh, old guard establishment. Donald Trump has uh, gotten a lot of his political success by running against that. and. Uh, you know, by in, here in 2023, I think Mitt Romney sees himself as pretty far outside of the party at this point. He really doesn't feel like he has a home in this party anymore.
0: How much does he make the connection? And and you spent hours and hours with him and discussed, I'm, I'm sure, so many things in all that time. How much does he make the connection between the way the party shifted under his father's feet in 1964, the way Goldwater completely took over the party and, mm-hmm. and really swept under the rug moderates like like George Romney and Nelson Rockefeller, et cetera, and the way the party did something similar with Trump and and the impact on Mitt Romney?
1: Yeah, I think that connection is sort of ever present in his mind. You know, Mitt actually traveled to the 1964 Republican presidential uh, convention in uh, in in San Francisco with his dad. Mitt was a teenager at this point. He had a little associate delegate badge dangling over around his neck. And I write about this story because he he went to uh, the convention with his dad while his dad w- was kind of gearing up for a fight against the Goldwater forces in the party, and he spent the the week there lobbying to get uh, planks added to the Republican platform supporting civil rights, he lost that battle. He wanted another uh, resolution passed that would condemn extremism, and that failed. And, uh, you know, George Romney, when he gave his speech, he stood up and actually very pointedly refused to endorse Barry Goldwater and was booed. Uh, by the crowd. Um, The the last night of the convention, uh, when Barry Goldwater stood up to give his acceptance speech, he he kind of condemned uh, George Romney and his ilk and said famously, uh, you know, um, extremism in defense of liberty is uh, no vice. And when he said that the entire crowd uh, at the convention stood to applaud and Mitt looked over and saw his dad kind of sitting quietly with his hands in his lap and he took two lessons from that experience one was he thought he he idolized his dad he thought his dad was sort of the embodiment of political courage and integrity and public service and. And he he would always idolize his dad for that moment and for the stand that George Romney took against the forces of extremism in his own party. But at the same time, when Mitt entered politics himself, he he spent a lot of his early political career sort of defining his approach to politics in opposition to his dad's. He you know where his dad was almost recklessly honest and candid about what he believed even when it was politically unpopular, Mitt was very cautious and and careful and calculating and he followed the talking points and he tried to meet the Republican primary voters where they were and and because of that Mitt kind of was tagged for a lot of his career as a flip-flopper, a man who had no real political convictions, who just kind of followed uh, the the polls and the focus groups. And there was some truth to that. But I think in this last chapter of his career, as he's very uh, clearly made this connection that you just made about uh, between the Goldwater takeover of the party and the Trump takeover of the party, he's been reaching for his dad's legacy in a way that uh, he hadn't before, where he's now sort of, uh, you know, trying to live up to his dad's example of, you know, taking bold, principled, courageous stands even when they're politically unpopular, and I think that's why you've seen Mitt sort of become a dissident in his own party these last few years.
0: There does seem to be one other difference, though, in that his father was people use this term about Nelson Rockefeller, so I'm reluctant to use it, but but George Romney was more the happy warrior. There was a joy about the political mm, process. Yes. Whereas maybe because of what happened, what he saw happen when he was young, that you never get the sense that Mitt Romney found joy in politics. (laughs) No, no.
1: In fact, I write about how when Mitt uh, was helping his dad run for governor his first race, uh, he would go around uh, to, you know, county fairs and and, you know, baseball games and go in with a clipboard and try to get signatures signed for petitions or whatever and he found very quickly that he did not really like politics you know his dad got this thrill out of working a crowd or working a rope line and he loved to kind of mix it up and mitt really never did and you can see that right i mean it's interesting what drove him to get into politics was that he did share his dad's um sense of public service right both men uh, were were wealthy. George George actually came from poverty, but eventually made his own wealth. Mitt grew up in this in this kind of rich family, and then became even richer in his career in private equity. But both men had this almost kind of noblesse oblige, this idea that they needed to give back, and so that's what pulled Mitt into politics. But he really never liked it. He never liked campaigning, especially. And it's funny, you know, as part of the reporting for this book, I was able to get. Mitt Romney's journals. And he kept very detailed journals during the 2012 presidential campaign, the year that he won the nomination. And one of the things that really comes through reading those journals is that he was miserable most of the time running for president. I mean, he hated mock debates. He hated how, you know, claustrophobic it felt to be followed by the press everywhere he went. He hated the, you know, the talking points and the the kind of, you know, how he felt like he could never really say what he meant and the constraints that his consultants put on him. You know, you're right that where George – seemed to find joy in politics and especially campaigning. I think Mitt saw campaigning as a as a kind of miserable ends uh, means to a worthy end, right? He, he thought he thought he would be really good at being president. He did not enjoy the process of running for president and I think that that came through and it's part of why he was ultimately unsuccessful.
0: I would argue that it also prevented him from seeing the sea change that was happening in the Republican Party—that mm-hmm. that all of those things that you talk about, his his disconnection in so many ways, prevented him from really understanding the core of populism. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think there's no question. I mean, he he talks about how the year he ran for president in 2012, the second campaign he had, um, this was the moment when the Tea Party was becoming a dominant force in Republican politics, and. There, you know, there was so much populist energy behind this movement, and Mitt now looks back on that and realizes he just fundamentally misunderstood this movement because he's not a populist, and he kind of looked at the movement and saw that they were talking a lot about fiscal policy, fiscal issues, and he he kind of said, "Well, that's how I'll relate to them. It'll be fine, you know. I'll I'll go and I'll uh, tell them." like uh you know i i agree with you on cutting taxes and reducing the deficit and shrinking the federal government and and he thought that that's how he could kind of relate to the the tea party and what he found was that when he got on those stages and he was speaking to tea party crowds they didn't respond very enthusiastically to his you know 59 point economic plan right (laughs) They, they wanted red meat they wanted anger and passion and, uh, and frankly, all the stuff that Donald Trump would bring to the table four years later. And and I think that you're right that his inability to sort of understand and appeal to the populist base of his party, uh, you know, you could argue created an opening for somebody like Donald Trump four years later. And it really wasn't until he saw Donald Trump's campaign in 2016 that he realized, oh, I just fundamentally misunderstood what these people wanted. I thought they wanted, you know, fiscal policy from me. What they actually wanted was somebody who, you know, was outrageous and angry and was kind of promising to burn it all down in their name and the and you know he 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 remains kind of steadfastly anti-populist which really does put him outside of not just his party right now but kind of this whole moment of american politics uh but he, he I, I think you're right that this is why he he struggled on the presidential campaign trail,
0: even in his his critical decision of picking a vice presidential candidate, he went with somebody that was much more in tune with with a conservative economic message as opposed to mm. a populist message in picking somebody like Paul Ryan,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, he he I, I read his journals from this period. And you can see him. You know, meeting with all the different candidates uh, for that that could have been his running mate, and it was Paul Ryan who he gravitated toward. He 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 just thought Ryan, you know, he, they, they they were both wonks. They both loved a good spreadsheet, right? <laughs> and 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 he he saw Paul Ryan as sort of a kindred spirit in some ways. He he actually wrote, he, "He's like me on steroids." <laughs> um, but you know, the, you're right because Paul Ryan you know, even more so than Mitt Romney, I think you could argue, was sort of emblematized a style of Republican politics that Trump sort of completely defeated, right? Paul Ryan's whole uh, public persona was built around his budget wonkery, and specifically, his uh, plans to dramatically shrink the federal government and dramatically cut taxes. And uh, I, I think you could you can say pretty definitively that Paul Ryanism kind of that style of Republican politics is totally out of vogue today. You know, Donald Trump has really never run uh, run on dramatically cutting entitlement programs, for example, Social Security, Medicare. Um, he he sort of doesn't care about shrinking the deficit. In fact, under Donald Trump, the the deficit uh, you know, <laughs> it got much worse. And so anyway, I think you're right that the, the Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney style of politics has sort of been uh, overwhelmed by Trumpism.
0: Of the political jobs that he had, and, and even the public service jobs, I'd throw the Olympics in with that. What did he enjoy the most? Was it being governor of Massachusetts, the Olympics, early on being in the Senate? What did he like the most of all of those jobs? I think he
1: likes jobs where he can dig into the details of an issue and solve problems, uh, you know, especially when there's a crisis to be solved, right? It, it, when he took over the Olympics, uh, a reporter at the Boston Globe asked Ann Romney, his wife, you know, why is he doing this? Why is he moving to Salt Lake City to to take over the these kind of troubled Olympic Games? Because at the time, uh, you know, there was a bid rigging scandal. There was a financial crisis for the Games. Advertisers were fleeing. And she said something really insightful about her husband. She said he loves emergencies and catastrophes. Um, And I think there is something to that. I think that when there's a a major problem to be solved and it can be solved by sort of rolling up your sleeves and digging into the details of an issue, that's what he likes the most. You know, I I don't know. I would say the Olympics probably were the job was the job where he got the most satisfaction out of solving a problem right but there have been other moments i mean his governorship of massachusetts specifically his ability to pass that uh the healthcare overhaul that he worked on and uh where they expanded uh, healthcare coverage to the entire state. It later became a template for uh, the Affordable Care Act. I think that he really enjoyed that process. He, he, you know, he's a management consultant. He's a boardroom guy. He likes getting in the room with various stakeholders and kind of making deals. It's also why, you know, you, you asked about his early time in the Senate. He actually didn't like his first couple years in the Senate. Um, and, and those are probably, I would argue, the years that he'll be best remembered for as a politician that when he was taking these stands against trump he voted to uh impeach trump but you know he felt like they weren't really getting anything done he he you know what he liked most about the senate was actually once trump left there was a two-year period where joe biden was in office and he was able to find a bipartisan group of senators that where they that were actually interested in legislating. <laughs> and he, you know, he was able to work on this infrastructure bill that became law and a handful of other bipartisan bills that Biden signed into law. And again, it was a situation where Romney could actually, you know, get into a room, be assigned some subject area where he could bone up and become an expert on it and then hash out the details of legislation. That that's the stuff he likes to do.
0: And yet his his interpersonal politics were not obsessive, as you might expect, with with a politician that had been around as long as he has. You talk about the the, the amount of time that he spent alone at his house in Washington. That was one of the more
1: striking revelations to me when I started uh, talking to him for this book. Because, you know, I approached him a few weeks after January 6th. I could tell that he was sort of going through something. He was kind of grappling with these difficult questions about... His party and the country, and and frankly, what you know, what role he had played in uh, bringing the country to this moment, if any, and, and you know, as a biographer, that's a perfect place for your subject to be. So I, you know, asked him, uh, I w- I want to write this book, but I want to spend a lot of time with you, and he said, okay. So I started meeting with him every week in his townhome in D.C. And one of the first things I noticed when I, you know, these first couple meetings was that he really is a pretty lonely guy in Washington. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He, you know, especially when I started, he was kind of a pariah in his own party. So Republicans didn't want to hang out with him. He didn't have any close personal friends in Washington. So he wasn't kind of one of these senators who's out there at galas and, you know, expensive dinners every night. In fact, the the first day that I went to his townhome, home, he, he showed me around and he had in his dining room a, a big leather recliner and a giant TV on the wall. And he told me that he ate dinner there most nights alone, just watching Better Call Saul or or Ted Lasso, leafing through briefing materials. He had a freezer full of salmon fillets that uh, the Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski had given him, and you know he said I don't really like uh, salmon that much, but I find that if I put them on a hamburger bun and smother them in ketchup, then they're they're okay. And so that's what he was eating most nights alone in his his townhome. So yeah, he really is not somebody. I mean, he does have friends. It's funny when he gets outside of Washington. He has a really rich family life, lots of kids and grandkids. He has a lot of good friends that are scattered throughout the country that he spends time with. But he he really as much as he is kind of a figure of the Republican establishment, he is not really at home in Washington. What does he regret the most about his career? a good question i don't know if there's any one thing he would point to as his biggest regret but you know the the theme of the uh, of our conversations and it kind of became the theme of the book is that he regrets the moments where he can now see that he did things that were in his political self interest that he kind of knew on some level were wrong um you know and, and sometimes that meant that he was taking positions he didn't really believe in. Sometimes it meant he was pandering to audiences he didn't really... You know uh want to pander to in twenty twelve I write about how he accepted Donald Trump's endorsement um and you know there was this big kind of event built around it. They were on stage at Trump's hotel in las Vegas, and you know obviously, looking back on that he's he's pretty chagrined by that whole experience but i I think in general, you know I asked him once, uh you know, if you had been in the same position, you uh are now but 30 years earlier right let's say that you you had had the opportunity to take that principled lonely vote to convict donald trump the, the president from your own party but instead of being at the end of your career you were 30 years earlier in your political career would you still have done it and he actually paused and he thought about it really seriously and he said you know i don't know if i can answer that because i think i recognize now my ability to rationalize things that are in my self-interest that I didn't recognize back then, and so I think to the extent that he has, you know, serious regrets about his career, there those moments when he allowed self-rationalization, self-justification, to uh, to win the day rather than his conscience.
0: There's also the sense that everything about populism today runs counter to his life to his career in so many ways whether it's resentment of business resentment of, of of people that have been that that are rich and have been successful not not i mean even beyond the political aspects of it i think that's right you know
1: he he often will tell me in fact you know he would he would sometimes write op-eds that he wanted to publish and his staff would kind of talk him out of publishing them so he would just show them to me And one of the op-eds was about um, populism and the failures of populism. And, you know, um, I I think that part of it is rooted in his own life experience. You're right. Um, I think part of it also is that, you know, his sort of two defining political experiences of his life have been Watching his dad's, you know, presidential campaign get washed out by these kind of tides of right wing populism, and then these last few years, seeing his his party that he's dedicated most of his adult life to uh, become overwhelmed, overtaken by a new form of uh, conservative populism in Donald Trump, and I think that in both cases he believed that what those populist waves did was drive. Um, drive thoughtful reasonable good-hearted people out of his party and encourage the worst instincts of the base of his party and you know he i think you could argue that his his take on populism is sort of skewed by those experiences because obviously he's also a very wealthy man who, uh, you know, who has benefited from a lot of privileges and and uh, and, and uh, blessings, right? But I, I I kind of understand why, at least in the political realm, he's so skeptical of populism. Because if you would have those experiences, those were the kind of most important political experiences of your life. You would probably be pretty skeptical as well.
0: And and finally, talk about how his. his political views and his views of politics in general was shaped by the fact that he ran against and, and lost against two of, of maybe the most skilled politicians in our lifetime, with the possible exception of Bill Clinton. Barack Obama and Ted Kennedy were two of the most skilled politicians around, mm-hmm. and they both cleaned his clock. They did. And
1: I think that he recognizes now that he just fundamentally lacked that kind of generational political talent that he was up against. I mean, I write about when he ran against Ted Kennedy, part of the reason he decided to run was because he had heard, you know, Ted Kennedy has lost a step. He's getting older. He's, he's beatable in a way he hasn't been before. And he told me that, you know, it, it took about five minutes once he was on a debate stage with Kennedy to realize that they, that, that was completely wrong. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, there was some exchange where Ted Kennedy just immediately kind of uh, outmaneuvered him. And Romney was like, Oh, I'm gonna lose this race, <laughs> and, and you know, the, and Barack Obama, I think the same thing. You know, he. It's funny. Romney, I think now is sort of seen as a a, a really untalented, stiff politician, but I think that's part of the partly because, as you put, you note. He He's being compared to really generational political talents, right? I think he's about average in terms of presidential candidates or, you know, senators in terms of his political abilities, but he recognizes this and he's judgmental sometimes of other uh, uh, politicians. He was telling me. He was wa- watching Ron DeSantis run for president, um, and he was, saw him. You know, saw some footage of him on the campaign trail in Iowa, and made, kind of remarked to me, "You know, he looks like he has a toothache." And then he paused and said, "Yeah, honestly, kind of reminds me of myself on the campaign trail." <laughs> so he he recognizes that he was never kind of the perfect vessel for the ideas that he believed in, uh, but he also you know, believed that he would he would be he would be able to do good in office. And I think that that's kind of one of the failures of failures of our political system, that, frankly, we reward talent on the campaign trail and not always, you know, ability to do the job.
0: And other than his father, who did he most admire
1: politically? Hmm. It's a good question. Um I don't know that he has, you know, a ton of political role models, frankly. I mean, his dad was was the one he would point to all the time. I mean, there are certainly people that he likes, you know, there are the Bushes. Um, he's remained close to George W. Bush. I actually spoke to him for this book. Um, and and there are other kind of uh there are some Democrats he likes, you know, he he there are people whose talents he really admires. He talks about Bill Clinton in this book where he says, you know. You can just tell when he's working a crowd that he loves it and they respond to him. Um, but he, you know, I think that most of his role models, frankly, are are in the world of business, which I think you could argue if he had his life to do over again, <laughs> that his talents were best suited for the business world. But uh, it, it was he always had that sense of obligation pulling him into politics.
0: McKay Coppins, the book is Romney, A Reckoning. McKay, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for having me. Thank
1: you.